Thank you, Monroe. Good morning, everybody. Is it great to be here today? Amen. Amen. How blessed we are to be able to come together. And again, it's not that way everywhere in the world where the Lord's Church can just come together openly and without fear of any interference from outside forces, but we're so blessed. Let's never take this blessing for granted. If you're visiting with us today, we're so thankful that you're here. You are a blessing for us, and we pray that you will be blessed by being here with us. And we just simply want to be the church that we all read about in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. If you're looking for a church home, we pray that you found it with us. And if we can help you in some way, uh, learn God's word better, understand his will for your life better, comfort you, strengthen you, pray with you, please let us know. If you have any questions about anything you see us do or hear us pray, please ask, or hear us say, please ask us, please ask us. We began a series of lessons uh, three weeks ago, asking the question as the lead-in to each particular lesson, what does it mean? And so we began by asking the question, talk about profound and something that we as humanity really need to pay attention to, what does it mean to be lost spiritually, eternally? We followed that with what does it mean to seek forgiveness so that we don't have to be lost? Today we want to talk about, we want to ask the question, what does it mean to come to Jesus? And we must come to Jesus if we want to be forgiven, if we want to be saved, if we want eternal life. What does it mean to come to Jesus? Monroe read just a few moments ago, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, which is referred to as the Lord's great invitation to all of humanity. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. Rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh my, what an invitation. What an invitation. We need to pay attention to that. We need to get past the point where we just listen to scripture being read and we just kind of listen on a surface level basis and let it go in one ear out the other or maybe over our head and then we just you know, look for the next verse to be read or we, hear, we wait for the next statement to be made. We need to think about what Jesus was doing there. He says, come to me, the great invitation. I'll give you rest. You'll find rest for your souls. Well, Jesus calls everybody to come to him. That's an invitation that was initially extended to the Jews of his day while he was here in his public ministry on this earth, but it's on a more broad-based scale, it's, it, it's the invitation to everybody all over the world, throughout every generation, all the way up till our generation today. And until he comes again on that final day of judgment. What, but what does it mean to come to Jesus? A lot of people, they don't think very deeply, they don't think very profoundly when they, they talk about coming to Jesus. You need to come to the Lord, you need to come to, okay, what does that mean? What does it mean to come to Jesus? How can I do that? We need to carefully understand what it really means to truly come to Jesus. Well, let's look at it from a few points of understanding and application. 
First, we need to believe with all of our heart that Jesus is the Son of God and our Lord and Savior. Now that belief is not to be just surface level belief. It's to be a deep, abiding, convicting, and guiding faith, directing our lives as to how we live the rest of our life. We're living in faith in him and faithfulness to him. We must believe that he is the Son of God. In John chapter 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Faith in Jesus is fundamental. Faith in Jesus is fundamental to coming to Jesus. Why would we come to him if we don't believe in him? And how do we come to him? In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, the Hebrews writer says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who would come to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And then in John chapter 8 and verse 24, our Lord himself said, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So the Hebrews writer focuses on belief in God specifically, but of course that would include belief in Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Jesus on this earth during his ministry, before he went to the cross says, you need to believe in me as the savior. And if you don't believe in me as God's son and the savior, you're gonna die in your sins because I am your hope, your only hope. The Father sent me as your Savior, as the sacrifice, perfect, one time for all time sacrifice, Hebrews 7 and verse 27, to pay the price for the guilt of your sins. So you need to come to me as that Savior in full belief, sincere, dedicated, abiding faith in me as that Savior. We're saved by grace through faith, the Apostle Paul said. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. A lot of people talk about, I got saved. Okay, tell me about it. Now they might have a difficult time explaining what they're talking about. Maybe they had some experience that they think just kind of overwhelmed them. But is that what it means to come to Jesus? Is that the way that that he meant for us to come to him? by having some just feeling rush over us, and we say, okay, I've got saved now. Now what? What are you going to do? And how is it that you think you came to him? But real faith in Jesus certainly is not just believing intellectually, and it certainly is not just a feeling that we have sweep over us. You see, even the demons in hell believe. James 2 and verse 19 James says, you believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble they believe so much. But that does not change who they are, what they are. They're still the demons in hell. We have to do more than just believe. A whole lot of people believe in God who are living sinful and therefore self-destructive lives throughout the world today. A whole lot of people would say, oh, I believe in Jesus. Oh, yeah. Do you believe in him with all of your heart? Oh, I believe in him with all of my heart. But they're not living for him. 
They're not living in obedience to his teachings. They're not living to God's glory or to the glory of our Lord. But they believe. Well, so do the demons believe. And that ought to open our eyes. The only verse in the entire New Testament that has the, the phrase faith only is preceded by two words, not by faith only. And it does not matter how many religious groups will tell you, all you got to do is have faith and you're saved. Not by faith only. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. God expects us to put our faith into action through obedience and commitment and dedication, serving him actively on an ongoing basis for the rest of our lives. Now, in coming to Jesus, Jesus promised rest for us. And he's not talking about having a good afternoon where you just kind of sit down on the couch and relax for a while. Or maybe just getting a good night's sleep tonight. That's not the kind of rest he's talking about. Although those kinds of rests would naturally come more naturally and regularly in our lives if we are experiencing the spiritual rest that he's really talking about. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the rest that Jesus is really talking about. Now, that spiritual rest, and a lot of people, they want, they want the blessings from God without the commitment to God. They want the salvation through our Lord without having to live the saved life before him. We need to learn from the example of the Israelites in the wilderness, going back to Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11, and ask ourselves, is there a reason, or maybe we should say, put it this way, for what reason would God withdraw that spiritual rest that our Lord promised us if we will come to him. We look at their example. The Hebrews writer actually refers to it in Hebrews chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. And he wrote, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. Now he's talking about the rebellion of the Israelites as God through Moses and Aaron was leading them through the wilderness I, a lot of people say the wilderness wanderings. I call it piddling in the wilderness because of their weak faith. But he says, don't, don't, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial, in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation. Now, can you imagine rebelling against God? And yet many people do for different reasons that, that seem to motivate them along that line. Can you imagine testing God and trying God? And, and so the Hebrews writer says, and of course this is God's word, when your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years, what kind of works did the Israelites going through that wilderness period 
for 40 years before God finally led them into the promised land and he put them off for that long because of their weak faith. What did they see? What kind of works from God did they see during those 40 years? He fed them with manna every morning. He fed them with meat. He took care of them, provided water for them miraculously. And at the end of the 40 years, I wonder how many of them stopped and realized, you know, our clothes never wore out. The soles of our shoes never got holes in them. And all of that was true because God blessed them in those ways on an ongoing basis, day in and day out for those 40 years. And so God is saying through the Hebrews writer, referring back to that time, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Their lack of faith, their disobedience, their continual rebellion against God. God was leading them to a promised land, to a rest that, they, that he had promised to their forefathers going all the way back to Abraham. But because of their rebelliousness, because of their weak faith, because of their rebellion against God, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Well, we look a little further along this line. Look at verses 18 and 19 in that same third chapter of Hebrews. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Now notice this. They did not obey. So we see that they could not enter because of unbelief. And there the Hebrews writer equates disobedience with unbelief, with unbelief. We have to believe in Jesus. We have to come to him believing that he is the Savior, God's Son, our Lord, with all of our heart. In John chapter 3, verse 36, we read this. Now the King James Version, the New King James Version, does not translate this as accurately as I believe it should be translated from the original Greek but I want to quote it from the American Standard Version or the English Standard Version or the Revised Standard Version. They all translate it, I believe, more accurately at one particular point. In verse 36 of John chapter 3, now in verse 16, as we noted earlier, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so a whole lot of people say, see, there all I got to do is believe. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Nothing else is required on my part. But in verse 36, the very last verse of that chapter, God, through the inspired writer, the apostle John, he cleared up for us or explained more deeply what he means by believing in Jesus. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And that is parallel to what we read in Hebrews chapter 3 in verses 7 through 11 and Hebrews chapter 3 verses 18 and 19. God withheld the rest that he had planned for the Israelites because of their lack of faith 
their disobedience. And he equated the two together. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, the Hebrews writer, speaking of Jesus, said, though he were a son, yet he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. Jesus had to learn obedience? Well, from a practical perspective, I would say, no, she certainly did not need to learn obedience. But he, as a human being, while still fully divine, he went through the process of learning obedience as a son growing up before his parents in their, in their household. He demonstrated obedience to God as he went about teaching the gospel that God sent him into this world to proclaim to mankind. Though he were a son, yet he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. We needed to learn that lesson through his example before us. The next verse goes on and says, and, and he became the author, having been perfected, he became the author or source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Obedience is a condition upon which salvation is received. And obedience is coupled with real, true, saving faithfulness. Jesus said, in essence, that obeying his teachings is absolutely connected with true, saving faith in him. In John chapter 12 and verse 48, he said, he who rejects me and does not receive my words, that is his teachings, has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. He brought a message of salvation to us. We call it the gospel. The apostle Paul in 2, Corinthians, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verses 7 and 8 says that there's going to come a day, that final day of judgment, when the Lord will be revealed with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's not just an intellectual thing we keep in our head. It is a faith that is so deep and abiding and profound that we live it every day of our lives. It guides and directs, it governs the way that we live. Three times, with repeated emphasis, as Jesus was facing the cross the very next day, he told his apostles in John chapter 14, first verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now what is intimated by that particular instruction? If you don't keep my commandments, you don't really love me. Not in the way that I, I expect of you and that you must. In the, verse 21, he said again, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and we, and, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If we want to walk with God, we must walk with him in loving obedience. If we want the Savior, his being sent to that cross to bless us in the ways God intended for it to, to bless us, we need to believe in him, not just intellectually, but we need to keep his commandments, follow his teachings, live by those teachings consistently all the time. 
And then in verse 23 and 24, and he put it from both ends of the, of the spectrum, so to speak. He said, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. God's word, he understands, he expects us to understand and apply properly the principle that true love for God, true love for Jesus means I will live by their teachings. I'm not just going to have some kind of surface level spoken love that says, oh, I love them so much, but I don't live by their teachings. I'm not faithful to them. I'm not obedient to what they've instructed me to be obedient to or how they've instructed me to be obedient. John emphatically in his first recorded letter stated that a person who does not live by the teachings of Christ does not have God. Second John chapter one and verse nine, whoever transgresses and does not abide in or live in, live by the doctrine, the teaching of Christ, now that would happen have to include the teachings by Christ as well as the teaching of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. John emphatically stated that. Now if you read the next two verses, verses 10 and 11, he emphasizes it so emphatically that he says, if somebody comes to your home and they bring some other doctrine, some other teaching, don't let them in. Don't encourage them in any way. Don't listen to that teaching because it may come across to them as an encouragement in their false belief and false teaching and just kind of motivate them to keep on doing that. He said, you don't listen to it. Don't pay any heed to it because it's false. So to come to Jesus, I must believe in him strongly enough to obey his teachings. Now, how does the scriptures lay out for us how God wants us to come to Jesus? Some people say, yeah, you've just got a, a really, you know, kind of step-by-step -step process there that you're emphasizing and that's mechanical and all of that. No, that's simply God's word. Simply God's word. We enter a house by going through a door. If you go through a window, you might get arrested because that's not your house, obviously. But we enter a house by going through a door. We enter a car by unlocking the door and, and sliding in. We start a, co a car by a particular process, whether it's a key in the ignition or whether it's a fob through which we have to press a button. We understand there's a process. Well, God has said, this is the way. I want you to come to me through Christ, and only through Christ can you come to me, John 14 and verse 6. Well, Jesus said that we must repent of our sins. I tell you, no, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And what does repent mean? Technically, it means a change of mind, but understood is a change of mind that leads to a change in life, a change in lifestyle, a change in the way that we live our lives. I believe it was, when it comes related to sin, I believe it was Marshall Keeble who simply put it down in a bottom line kind of understanding, direct, simple to understand. I believe he said, repent means stop that. And so we've got to stop how we used to live before we became Christians because that was a sinful lifestyle. 
re we must repent of our sins and be converted to Christ. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, Peter and John told the crowd that had gathered after God had healed that lame man. They said, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Now see the condition of their sins being blotted out? They needed to be converted. They needed to repent so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. On Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, when some of the, the Jewish men gathered there for that feast day, asked Peter and the rest of the apostles, after Peter had preached the gospel sermon to them, they said, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent. That was the first statement from his mouth. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said we must openly confess our faith in him. We can't keep our dedication, our faith in Christ a secret just to ourselves, not letting the people around us know that we're Christians. They need to know that we have changed our lives. They need to see Christ in us, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. And so Jesus said, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father in heaven. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 10 and verse 10, with the heart one believes unto salvation, or righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So we are to be a people who, don't, who are not just following Jesus in our mind, but in our daily lives on an open basis. People, again, need to see Christ in us. Jesus also said, as he was ready to ascend back into heaven, and he gave the apostles the instructions to go on that mission of spreading the gospel everywhere, he said, you need to teach people that they need to be baptized into me. And that's when they come to salvation through me. In Mark 16, 15, and 16, he said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. And there's the obedience that comes along with true faith. The true faith leading to the obedience. He who does not believe will be condemned. If you don't believe, you're not going to obey, obviously. Peter put it this way in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, very direct again. He said, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, it is at baptism that our sins are washed away, cleansed by the blood of Christ shed on the cross. The Lord sent a man, Christian man named Ananias to teach Saul of Tarsus. And he said to Saul, why are you waiting? Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling in the name of the Lord. And Jesus also said that we've just come out of the starting gate at that point. We've just begun a new life, a changed life. We've just been born again, John 3, verses 3 through 5. We've just been made new spiritually, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. He said, now, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Live that life of true, active faithfulness every day for the rest of your life. I'll be waiting for you on that final day with your eternal life. The crown of life, it'll be yours. You'll have that home with me in heaven for all of eternity. Now, 
as noted earlier, true faith is obedient faith. It is dedicated faith. It is active faith. It is working faith. All of this, all of this goes, everything we've looked at goes with coming to Jesus. It's not just an intellectual thing. It's an active act, an active st uh, step of obedience. It's an active change of lifestyle. It's an active commitment. All of this that we've looked at goes with coming to Jesus. It's total commitment to him. As Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Oh, what a life change it is to truly come to Jesus. And if you need to take that step in your life today, we want to encourage you however we can to take that step. If you need to study God's word to understand just exactly how to do that, what God instructs for you to be able to do that, we'll study with you if you'll ask us. If you need the prayers of the church for whatever reason, all you need to do is step forward and, talk, and let us know so we can pray with you and for you or talk with us privately. But if you're ready to be baptized into Christ and enter into him through that act of obedience and have your sins washed clean by the blood he shed on the cross, if you're ready to be reborn spiritually, to be saved, then we encourage you to take that step this morning, and we'll help you with that as we baptize you into Christ. If you need to come, come right now as we stand together and sing.